Let's begin our worship together using the words of this hymn, which I'm sure many of you know. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall. We'll stand as we sing this together. together. Father in heaven, as we come together to worship you, we seek the help of the Holy Spirit and your strength and grace that we might be able to get in our minds the right balance between the sense of solemnity as we reflect on the death of Christ and the sense of triumph at what was achieved through his death for us on the cross. We pray that you would help us to have a sense of balance, not just in our understanding, but in our expressions of praise this evening, that there might be a sense of balance between the the great debt of gratitude that we owe And the sense of thanksgiving for the great gift of life that is ours because of his death. And Father, as we hear familiar words of scripture, we pray that they would speak to us in a fresh way. That not just our minds and not just our voices will be affected, but that our hearts might be moved also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dorothy is going to come and read to us from Matthew 27, and then following the reading, um, the choir is going to come and sing, O Sacred Head. Dorothy, thank you.
Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32. As the soldiers were leading Jesus out to be crucified, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Then they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill. The soldiers gave him wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. And so the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. And afterwards they gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A signboard was fastened to the cross above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified with him, their crosses on either side of his. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. So, you can destroy the temple and build it again in three days, can you? Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted God. Let God show his approval by delivering him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the criminals who were crucified with him also shouted the same insults at him. Oh, oh, oh.
death of Jesus. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. The reading that Ruth has brought to us concludes by telling us of some who were there. We'll be returning to that a little later. But first of all, let's sing together the words of this song. Come and see, come and see the King of Love. Then Gibson's going to come and read another section from Matthew's Gospel for us. And then after that, Joanne's going to come and sing, Were You There? The Burial of Jesus, Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body And Pilate ordered that it be taken down and given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. like to turn your attention to a short passage in Matthew chapter 27. It's one of the passages that was read to us a little earlier, so you might like to turn to that. 
Sometimes it's the little details that prove to be the most interesting. It's true of design. Sometimes the distinctiveness in design terms of buildings or equipment is, is a matter of scale. It's the sheer scale of it that's impressive. But sometimes it's the fine detail that makes something stand out. And I want to draw your attention to a point of fine detail in Matthew chapter 27 and for us to reflect on it for a little while. It's taken from verses 55 and 56 of Matthew chapter 27. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Zebedee and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Mark in Mark chapter 15 verses 40 to 41 also has three women at the foot of the cross. John in John chapter 19 and verse 25 has four. And what we know is that present at the cross when you put the three accounts together was Mary the mother of Jesus. We know that from John's gospel. Mary the wife of Clopas or the mother of James the younger and Joseph as Matthew has it. They all tell us that Mary Magdalene was there. And then one other woman referred to in three different ways in the three Gospels. According to Matthew, that woman is the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder. According to Mark, she is Salome. And according to John, she is Jesus' mother's sister. In other words, Jesus' aunt. It would appear that Matthew's reference to the mother of Zebedee's sons in verse 56 is none other than his aunt, Mary's sister, the mother of his cousins, James and John. Wenham's book, The Easter Enigma, is very helpful in working through a lot of these complicated references. And most commentators, I think, would agree with Wenham that this is the most likely reading of the gospel texts. Now, this small detail and the way in which Matthew makes reference to her, he doesn't use her name, he doesn't refer to the fact that she is Jesus' mother's sister, as John does, he has a very specific reference which is also true of her. The mother of Zebedee's sons. If you'd been with us when we've been going through Matthew's Gospel, that may stir for you a memory of a passage that we looked at some time ago. It's Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, Matthew tells us, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. So whether the lady's name is Salome or not, one thing is absolutely certain. 
is that the woman who asked if her two sons could sit at Jesus' right and left hand in his kingdom was one of the women who was present at the foot of the cross. Matthew takes the trouble to identify her as one and the same woman. When you take all of this together, it sheds some very interesting light on both Matthew chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 27. It means that in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, when the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus and with her sons kneeling down asked the favour of him, that it was Jesus' aunt who was asking the favour on behalf of his cousins. That certainly helps us understand a little more the irritation of the other disciples. Salome seems to be working on the basis that blood is thicker than water and that Jesus has some kind of family loyalty to consider when sharing out the spoils of his kingdom. Society in Jesus' day and culture was structured much more by family than by meritocracy as our own society is supposed to be or by financial consideration as our own society may actually be. In Jesus' day, family honour was the key issue. And as Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him by the time of Matthew 20, it's quite reasonable that his aunt should expect that his cousins, James and John, the sons of thunder, should rightfully take second and third place in the kingdom. After all, they were already part of his inner circle, James and John and Peter. And I'm sure she couldn't contemplate that roughneck Peter usurping one of her boys. But here we find the same woman, but in a very different setting. And I wonder what is going through her mind as she watches Jesus die. I've used this simple picture that's on the screen, a simple picture of three crosses, quite deliberately. Because Matthew, like other gospel writers, is at pains to point out to us that Jesus was not crucified or not the only one to be crucified on that occasion. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 38, it says, Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Sitting, watching, distraught at what is happening to her sister's son is the mother of James and John who had requested that her sons sit on his right and on his left when he entered his kingdom. Do you get the feeling that Matthew wants us to notice something here? Is it not a little obvious what he's getting at and what he wants us to recall from an earlier passage in his gospel? Is it not a useful thing to ask ourselves what might have been going on in the mind of Salome, wife of Zebedee, mother of James and John, sister of Jesus' mother, Jesus' aunt, as she watched him die. It seems to me there can be little doubt that Matthew wants us to roll back to the incident in chapter 20. 
An incident that does not just provide an interesting coincidence, but some important instruction about what was happening at the cross and what it was she was observing. When you go back to Matthew chapter 20, as Jesus responds to his aunt's request, she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. In verse 22, Jesus says, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. I think the obvious answer that really Jesus' question in verse 22 of chapter 20 solicits is the answer, no. But then neither James nor John nor their mother knew exactly what Jesus meant when he talked about, can you drink of the cup that I will drink? Because Matthew, in Matthew 26 and verse 39, tells us that even Jesus found it difficult to drink from the cup that the Father had planned. In Gethsemane, his prayer is, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If the mother of James and John did not understand what she was asking, nor understand fully Jesus' response in Matthew 20, as she sits at the foot of the cross, she now understands that her boys couldn't have stood this. In fact, it would appear that only one has been able to stay and watch. What Jesus had to bear, only Jesus could bear. That's the point that Matthew is making. But there's another point that Matthew wants to make by the inclusion of the reference to Zebedee's wife, the mother of James and John. Because in Matthew chapter 20, that other incident where she features... At the close of that section, in verse 28, Jesus makes a very significant statement. He concludes that whole incident by saying to his disciples, and presumably also to the mother of James and John, his aunt, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we are wondering what is going on at the crucifixion, if the mother of Zebedee's sons is wondering what is going on at the crucifixion, if we cannot see past the brutality, if she cannot see past the brutality, if we cannot fathom the cruelty, if she could not fathom the cruelty, If we cannot see the point, if she could not see the point, we are, by virtue of her presence there and the reference to her, taken back to Jesus' own understanding as to what his death would be about, as to what was going on at the crucifixion. This is the Son of Man giving his life as a ransom for many.
What Jesus had to bear, only Jesus could bear. What Jesus had to bear, he bore for others. And thirdly, it strikes me that the inclusion of the reference that Matthew makes in Matthew chapter 27 is to prompt us to think and to ask questions. And here I speculate. But I am left wondering what on earth was going on through that poor woman's mind at that point. Did it register with her that there was in fact one on his right and one on his left? Undoubtedly. While clearly her expectation of Jesus entering his kingdom never included anything like this, did it register with her that this could have been her son's had her request been granted? I'm quite sure it did. In the midst of her grief for her nephew, in the midst of her wailing for and with her sister, did the realization of the horror that might have touched her own family dawn upon her? How could it not? Did Jesus' words in verse 23 of Matthew 20, when he then says to the two boys, You will indeed drink from my cup. As she observed this scene, did those words fill her heart with dread? Is this what association with Jesus will bring to her own sons, James and John, eventually? Can it be that this is maybe what it will cost them to follow him, to share in the glory of his kingdom? So for ourselves this evening, we take away these three thoughts. What Jesus had to bear, only Jesus could bear. The cup from which he was to drink was the cup of righteous justice and judgment. Thanks be to God that he was willing to do it. What Jesus had to bear, he bore for others. And this evening we recall that it was for us he hung and suffered there. But we see at the cross a foretaste of what it may mean for some of us to follow him. To take up our cross and follow him. And certainly what it means for some of our brothers and sisters around the world. Look upon the picture. Picture the scene. In these three crosses is a glimpse of sacrifice, a glimpse of love, a glimpse of the cost of following Jesus.
Let's take a moment of quietness together. All you have borne for us, we give you thanks and praise. For our very poor understanding of what it cost you, and for the way in which we often betray that cost, we seek your forgiveness. For strength, to follow after you in our daily lives we pray for your glory's sake Amen
Let's stand together and read this passage from Romans 11. O oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.